The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest in the first half hour is Betsy McCaughey. Uh, she's a PhD. She's a, one of the leading experts in the country about health care and Obamacare and so on. Uh, she is uh, the, a patient advocate. Uh, she launched the Committee to Reduce Infection Health. Uh, she was also a teacher at a professor at Vassar College and Columbia. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Betsy. Thank you. So glad to be with you. Well, certainly a timely topic here with what's everything that's going on with Obamacare. You've come out with a new book called Beating Obamacare, your handbook for surviving the new health care law. Just tell us briefly why it was important to come out with a book like this. Well, as you can see, just reading the headlines day to day, Americans all across the country are being clobbered by, in many cases, the unanticipated or understated, underconfessed. <laughs> implications of this law. For example, right now, millions of people across the country are getting cancellation notices in the mail. They were told they could keep their health plan if they liked it, but in fact, that's not true. And uh, patients on Medicare are really suffering uh, big-time consequences because over half this law is paid for with cuts to Medicare. So all across the spectrum, people are experiencing the impact of this law and the purpose of my book is to help walk them through the landmines and protect their income, their health, and their uh, liberty. Everybody seems to be surprised, including the president, about how this is turning out. But one of the things you say in your book is these are predictable things. What's happening now is kind of what you should have pre- predicted after looking at the law. And I know whenever you appear on TV, you carry the whole law with you, over 2,000 pages or whatever it is. But, I mean, is well, everything that's happening now predictable? Let me make a point about the law itself because what you're seeing roll out today is not really the Affordable Care Act as it was written. Uh, it's a mangled, distorted, illegally changed version of the Affordable Care Act. Gone is the employer mandate, probably never to return. Gone are the caps on out-of-pocket expenses. Gone is income verification when you sign up on the exchange. Gone are over half the deadlines in this law. And then added by the president are 1,472 waivers, special subsidies for members of Congress, uh, subsidies on the federal exchanges, although the law doesn't permit that, so it's a totally different thing from the Affordable Care Act. I was very troubled by the implications of the written law, but even more troubled to see this version because not only are we losing good health care, but we're losing the rule of law itself. You said at the beginning of your book that Obamacare is here to stay. So basically well, there actually, is no plan B, let me say B, the publisher right? wrote that. I don't believe that Obama <laughs> is here to, Obamacare is here to stay. I've been working assiduously. Uh, to inform the public about what's in this law and build the momentum to make 2014 a referendum on this law. 
So you think it literally could be, I mean, Obama himself is never going to sign something that's going to overturn it. How you could this be, be uh, defunded and, and uh, eliminated? You wait and see. <laughs> I'm not going to say the president will never sign a law to overturn this. I'm not going to predict that. So, okay, so let's, let's do the, the your, your most favorable path. Uh, that you think things get really bad, what, well, how would that look? Well, let me make a point uh, of explaining what I would do this week, because this is a constantly moving train. But this week, I'm very concerned about the 800,000 or so people with very serious pre- pre-existing conditions who don't get insurance at work and can't get it in the individual market. They were told they would get it through Obamacare, but in the meantime... About a quarter of them are in high-risk pools around the country. 35 states have these high-risk pools, and the rest don't have any insurance at all. And these are the people in dire straits. I would repeal Title I of this law, which is about the first 200 pages. It includes the employer mandate, the individual mandate, and the mandatory uh, health plans on the exchanges. I would just repeal that part of the law and take the $26 billion that that would produce this year, free up this year, and the $51 billion it would free up next year, and I would provide real insurance for every one of those people with pre-existing conditions. They cost about $11,000 on average. There's enough money there to solve the most fundamental problem we're facing. Instead, this law concocted the most indirect way of helping those people, which was to spend the money on advertising and marketing to woo all these healthy young people into the exchanges and then bamboozle them into paying very high premiums so most of the money would be spent on the sick people with the pre-existing conditions. Why not just spend the money directly on the sick people with pre-existing conditions and leave the kids alone. <laughs> so it's, what is going to happen to these high-risk pools? If nothing changes in the law, what is going to happen to these high-risk pools? Well, that's very unfortunate. Some of them are scheduled to close December 31st. Others are being extended a month or two at a time because they realize what dire straits these people are in. It depends on which state you're in. But these people really need help, and Congress should stop with all the politicking and draft a quick-fix bill that will help those people by repealing the most uh, dysfunctional aspects of this law and then leave the rest of it to be decided at the end of the year when we have an election. Now you say... At the end of 2014, I mean. Obamacare was designed to bring in young, healthy people who are going to pay premiums and not have too much in claims. But um, what do you recommend course, for young, young people today? Young healthy people aren't as stupid as the president assumed they were, and they're not going to pay a premium uh, that that only an older, sicker person w- could. It would, would, doesn't make sense for a young person. A, a thirty-year-old man needs no preventive care, and yet he's, you're trying to sell him a. A, an expensive plan with a $5,000 deductible, he's never going to get a nickel back on that plan. So what would you recommend for young people? I mean, by law, they have to have something or they pay a penalty. Well, they, 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 they have to have something if this law stays. Um, but 
I can't recommend what they would do under this law because if they're over 26, they're not allowed to buy catastrophic insurance. And even what this law calls catastrophic really isn't. The best buy for a young person is a high deductible insurance plan for the unexpected motorcycle accident or bungee jumping accident or really unusual rare cancer that afflicts a young person. Other than that, young people don't need health insurance, period. Is that available on the health exchanges, what you just talked about, a high deductible plan? It's only available if you're quite young, not if you're 30, no. So what, I mean, the policy you just recommended, a high deductible catastrophic policy, does that exist for people to buy? It's against the law under this new law. It's against the law. That's the point. Insurance Mm. companies are being barred from selling that sort of sensible thing because Mm. they... The law wants to woo all these young people into the exchanges where they will have to pay huge premiums. They're not paying for their own health care. They're paying for the care of older, sicker people. It was, a, it was kind of a, a crazy idea that you should have everyone in one risk pool and the young will subsidize the older, sicker people. They're not going to do it. They'd yeah. rather make a, a car payment. So, so far, there have been very few people, young people actually signing up. The ones who've been very navigating true. the sites are the older, sicker ones. Is that right? That's right. And even they have hard, a hard time signing up. They don't want to sign up for a different reason. And that is that these exchange plans don't allow them to see the doctors and go to the uh, top drawer academic hospitals that seriously ill people want to use. What, what is happening to the networks? That are being offered to them uh, as far as they're what doctors and hospitals are being offered. What, they're very narrow compared with what you'd uh, what you'd be able to get in a commercial plan. So, is there going to be a lot of protests about that if you can't people can't see the doctors they're used to? Yes, and here's the one thing that's really very dreadful about this: the law states very clearly that these exchanges are supposed to ex- reveal when they when they post the plans with their deductibles and their premiums, they're supposed to also post a quality rating and reveal the network of doctors and hospitals, and they don't. I can only assume it's because the uh, administrators putting this together don't want the people to see the truth that you're signing up for a Medicaid-like plan with very few doctors, very little access to the hospital you want, and uh, it's not what you think you're getting. So what is the effect going to be on health care if doctors, uh, people not be able to sign plans to see them? Is this going to hurt doctors as well in hospitals? Of course it is. Uh, Many doctors are retiring or they're going into concierge medicine. They're protesting the fact that, well, there are so many things. They're protesting the fact that they can't keep their patients. These exchange plans pay doctors at Medicaid-like rates. Many of these exchange plans are really interoperative with Medicaid. They pay very low rates and they send people to what are called essential community providers, which are hospitals that treat the poor. There's nothing wrong with that. But in the past, they're very different from academic hospitals. Now, finally, the, the other part of these exchange plans that people haven't recognized yet, Section 1311H of this law gives the Secretary of Health and Human Services literally blanket authority to dictate how doctors in these plans treat patients. So this is unheard of in medicine. The federal government has never had the authority to standardize the practice of medicine, but that's what the federal government is attempting to do here, dictate how all doctors treat patients. Uh, 
obviously with an eye toward reducing healthcare consumption. And so what will that mean, that doctors are going to spend less time with patients? What will be the practical result of that? Well, the regulations are going to be written next year under Section 1311H, but it could mean telling cardiologists how often they can use stent versus bypass, how often OBGYNs can order a sonogram or do a cesarean. Who knows what the micromanagement will entail? Wow. This is pretty amazing stuff, really is. Um, is there a website where people can find out more about your book? Oh, of course. Well, you can go to Amazon.com to buy the book, um, and you can come to BetsyMcCoy.com to read all my articles, and uh, I hope that they will be helpful. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Betsy McCoy, who is a former attorney, uh, 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 lieutenant governor of the state of New York. Her new book is called uh, Beating Obamacare, Your Handbook for Surviving the New Healthcare Law. Lots of dramatic things going on in the world of healthcare we need to learn about. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have on nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this half hour is Betsy McCoy, the former lieutenant governor of New York. She's got a new book out called Beating Obamacare, Your Handbook for Surviving the New Healthcare Law. Welcome back to the show, Betsy. Thank you. Medicare. You're saying one of the biggest impacts of this is on Medicare. Explain how well, that's going to affect Medicare. Well, it's obvious why that is. Uh, over half of this law is paid for by cuts to Medicare. Over half the law. Seniors really bear the brunt. Uh, some of the cuts are across the board. For example, uh, the law takes $247 billion out of what hospitals would have been paid over this decade to take care of seniors. So already hospitals are laying off nurses and spreading the care thinner. That, of course, affects patients of all ages. I say if you know you're going into the hospital, try to cobble together enough money for a private duty nurse, at least for the first night, because when you press that button for pain control or help, you're going to wait longer than in the past. Uh, And also, it's really important if you're a baby boomer, Line up your doctors now, your, your cardiologist, your internist, even if you're healthy, because if you wait until you turn 65 and go on Medicare, you're not going to be able to find a doctor willing to take you on as a new patient. And then there are some, some ways that the uh, cuts to Medicare really target just seniors. For example, there's a section in this law, Section 3000A, that awards bonus points to the hospitals that spend the least per senior. So if you're a senior now, and basically you're on Medicare, you don't have a lot of choice, what are you supposed to do to have decent health care? Well, it's going to get tougher and tougher. But this Section 3000A is particularly problematic because it means that hospitals are going to try to do everything they can to reduce how much is spent on their older patients. And when they count, when they calculate how much is spent per senior in the hospital, they even include the the 30 days of care that the senior receives after leaving the hospital. So you're going to see hospitals very reluctant now to prescribe physical therapy after a knee replacement or a hip replacement, and it's virtually impossible to recover from those surgeries without good rehab. It's going to get people very upset. I can see it. And how about Medicaid? Now, in many states, they have not expanded Medicaid. In some states, they have. What's going to be happening with Medicaid? Well, Medicaid, Medicaid is the major way that the uninsured are covered under this law. The president said again and again uh, that he was going to solve the problem of the uninsured by making health plans more affordable, but that's not what the law does. Instead, it moves very large numbers of people into Medicaid, really pushing, pushing the country toward becoming a Medicaid nation. Now, about half the states have refused to expand Medicaid, and they're pretty smart to do that because the federal government has promised that it will pay almost all the cost. But these federal politicians always break their promises. So many state politicians realize that they're going to expand Medicaid and then be left holding the whole tab when the feds pull out. And I can tell you that every single deficit reduction plan, debt reduction plan in Washington includes breaking that promise to uh to pay most of the cost of the Medicaid expansion. So states that expand Medicaid are going to really get caught holding the bag. So even so for now, for somebody joining Medicaid, are a lot of doctors not going to be accepting Medicaid? That's already been true to some extent, but that will be even more true. Doctors don't like to take Medicaid, so it's going to be even harder to get a doctor if you're on Medicaid in the future if you're in a state that, that has expanded Medicaid because they've expanded Medicaid for patients, but they haven't found more doctors to accept it. Yes, and pro- probably won't. <laughs> New doctors don't want to accept it as much as 
and any of the old doctors do probably either. That's right. That's right. Now, let's talk about the exchanges. Uh, there's been all this controversy about the website not working and so on, but say they get the website to work. Is this a viable the system to have? almost a distraction. You know, anybody can have a technical problem. I've had trouble with my website, although it hasn't affected 300 million people. But <laughs> we all have trouble with our websites once in a while. That's not the problem. The problem is what you get when you finally succeed in entering that portal for the exchange. And what you're getting is, well, it looks good on paper, 10 essential benefits, right? That's what they're saying, yeah, that our, your right. old plan was substandard, you were stupid to have your old plan, you should, you should like this new plan better. But in fact, this new plan is far lower in quality than what you had before if you had insurance. Because this new plan, even though it says you get these 10 essential benefits, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to find doctors willing to take your insurance. For example, in New York, only 24% of doctors say they're going to take exchange insurance. I see. So it's, it that? sounds good, sounds good, but it's, the reality is, is people are not going to be able to get the care they need with it all. That's yeah. right, and, and and the same is true with hospitals. Many hospitals are unwilling to accept these exchange plans. So, for example, in California, Cedar Sinai, the top drawer hospital in LA, won't take it. Many of the University of California hospitals won't take these exchange plans. In New York City, New York Presbyterian won't take most of the exchange plans. So it's because the reimbursements are too low? Is that the reason exactly they're not doing it? That's exactly why. Yes, that's exactly why. Mm-hmm. And that's not about the change, you're saying, the reimbursements? No, they may get lower. Yeah. So it would be hard to find the places to use it. Now, in general, healthcare premiums have been rising here because they have to cover things like pre-existing conditions they didn't cover before. What's, what is the outlook for healthcare premiums? Well, this year, uh, according to the Manhattan Institute, which has done the most thorough study of them, Premiums were up 41%, and that's a big, that's a big increase, and uh, particularly for men uh, and particularly for people who are young, they get the worst deal of all. So I, I wouldn't suggest that young people sign up for this health insurance. It's, it's, you might as well just write a check to charity. <laughs> so you think a lot of people are going to take the penalty is what's going to happen? They are. They're going to take the penalty. Mm-hmm. But isn't that kind of uh, not having any insurance at all? I mean, if you do have a motorcycle accident, well, you, could, or something you can happened. pay the penalty and then try to get insurance. It's going to be hard to find insurance because the law kind of drives insurance brokers out of business, and of course, insurers aren't going to offer very many plans that aren't uh, Obamacare compliant because there's too small a market for them. But as I said, in the coming weeks, things are very unpredictable because of the president's illegal quick fixed last Thursday. So, okay, so he said basically if you uh, had a policy that was been canceled, he was asking insurance companies and insurance commissioners to extend that. They've been kind of mixed reaction to that. What do you think, how that's all going to play out? I think insurance companies are going to sue him. And this is why. I, I'm no friend of insurance companies. They're, they're not particularly great citizens. But these insurance companies followed the law, the letter of the law. They were told they had to have these new plans ready by January 1st, 2014, that the plans had to follow exactly what the Obamacare administration said must be in them. So they spent hundreds of millions of dollars writing these new plans and marketing them. And then on Thursday, the president stood up and said, you know, I changed my mind. Well, there's a reason that countries with a rule of law dependable law 
do better economically than countries run by dictators. Because countries run by dictators, uh, the businesses don't want to take any risk. They don't want to produce new products. They don't want to invest because the big boss can change his mind anytime. That's what just happened in the United States of America. So these cancellation like notices are going... banana republic government. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're saying that insurance companies, therefore, may sue, but they're not going to reinstate these canceled policies because it's against the law. Some may try to reinstate them. It's hard to... I don't think they're going to act uniformly. We've heard a diversity of voices from the insurers and the insurance commissioners so far. It's very hard to tell what's going to happen. But I would be surprised if at least one insurer big or small, doesn't sue the president saying, we've lost a lot of money because of what you did and what you did was illegal. What would you recommend to somebody who just got a cancellation notice from an insurance company that's not going to reinstate their cancel policy and something they were happy with? Well, it depends on where you live. Um, But if you have serious health issues or you're over 40, I would make sure to get some sort of health insurance and and your choices are going to depend on where you live. So, I mean, but you're saying people should not necessarily go through the exchange. They could go directly to insurance companies, not well, through the it, exchange. It's it's very hard to go directly to an insurance company. Although I think you can. I think you can go up on the websites. And uh, signing up through the exchange is going to be very difficult because. At the moment, they don't give you a quality rating, and they don't tell you whether your doctor and your hospital are included in the plans. So could you check with your, I mean, before you sign up for something, you can check with your hospital, your doctor and hospital, and say yes, which plans do you accept. Yes, there's a lot accept. of confusion out there. Many of the hospitals and doctors don't know yet. It's better to check with the insurance company directly. And so the but no, on the insurance company websites, they're going to say, these are the doctors we accept. Yes, yes, or you could even call customer service for the insurance company to ask. Yeah, so, okay, (laughs) this is a pretty confusing situation right now. Well, it is, and I don't mean to make it confusing, but it's a mess at the moment. Now, you say this is leading to a constitutional showdown. How is that that going to play out? There are lawsuits right now regarding various aspects of the Obama health law, over 100. Um, But the most important ones challenge the the way that the president has constantly defied the written law uh, or patched up the written law to make the, to, for political reasons. And so, as I said, whether you liked the law to begin with or not, and there are always good parts and bad parts of these things, if you're running a business that's in the healthcare field, you've got to be able to depend that this law is going to roll out as written. And that's true in any industry. And once government decides it can just arbitrarily change the law at any moment, well, we're not going to have an economy anymore. It's particularly on the mandates, you're saying, like when they delayed the business mandate. The employer mandate, you're never going to see that employer mandate again. Never. And what, what do you think is going to happen to the individual mandate? Well, uh, at the moment, it's hard to say. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm calling very many members of Congress and urging them to repeal a large chunk of Title I, which includes the individual mandate. How can you require that people sign up for health insurance when they can't even get onto the exchange, when the exchange plans have been sold as one thing and they're something entirely different? Uh, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. So you think there's going to be a political backlash to this that will change Congress? 
It could change Congress in 2014. 2012 should have been a referendum on the Obama health law. For many reasons, it wasn't. But I think in 2014, now that people have experienced the pain, and I regret that they had to go through this, they're going to go into the voting booth and pull the lever for somebody who's committed to removing this law. Very good. Well, terrific so much. Uh, tell, tell people again the website where they can find out about your book. Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com and BetsyMcCoy.com. Which is spelled M-C-C-A-U-G-H-E-Y. Just want to make sure right. people got that right. Well, thanks so much, Betsy. It's been You're fascinating. Welcome. It's a very interesting field that's going on with healthcare right now. So I appreciate your help very much. Thanks very much. And we'll be back with another guest, Kathy Fetke, after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Kathy Fetke. She's the CEO and co-founder of the Real Wealth Network, uh, which is all about helping real estate investors uh, be successful. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you. Just to start with a little bit of your background and how you formed the network and your background leading to today. Oh, I could give the the long or short version, so I'll give the short one. (laughs) Okay, good idea. Yeah, back in uh, 2003, my my husband was diagnosed with melanoma, and he was misdiagnosed when they told him he had six months to live. So I had to learn really quickly how to make money, um, just kind of take over the finances so he could get better. The good news is he's fine. Um, And also the good news is I learned 
uh, I learned a lot in that process when I didn't know. Uh, and I used my radio show, uh, like you, you know, to interview successful people. And, and I discovered that many people had uh, built their wealth through real estate. So I just honed in on that, learned how, and uh, ended up building a very large network of people who are, are highly experienced and people who are brand new. And, uh, you know, we learn from each other and we help investors simplify the process of passive real estate investing. So tell us a little bit more about the Real Wealth Network and what it takes to get involved with it and what kind of resources are there for people who join. Oh, absolutely. Well, membership is free. Uh, there's a little join button at the top, and uh, then you get access to some of the best markets in the country and some data on those markets where we think uh, we, we kind of like um, areas that have a bad reputation but are actually in reality recovering and thriving. But in situations like that, you can, you can get great real estate deals because once the world figures it out, uh, you're the one that's a step ahead. Um, so we, you know, we have that information. We have blogs. We, we keep people understanding the market cycles. Um, I learned early on that most economists didn't quite seem to know. I mean, so many of the national economists were saying that we weren't in a bubble when, you know, someone like me who didn't have that kind of experience could just kind of scratch my head and say, how can you say that? You know, it's obvious. So um, I learned early on that, that I had to take control and understand the markets, the real estate markets, because no one else seemed to, to get it. <laughs> well, real estate is clearly on local markets, different in different places, but what would be the overall state today of the investment uh, real estate market? Well, overall, things are certainly improving. I mean, granted, it's very much manipulated by, uh, you know, by our government but, um, and by the banks not, not foreclosing as quickly as they could have. They sort of drew it out longer and held on to a lot of REOs. But that worked for them in the long run because prices have gone up. Um, inventory levels are very low. And, uh, and so overall, it's, it's good. But there is really no such thing as a national real estate market. So each market, like you said, operates differently. And, and we're really focused on those markets where there is job creation, where there's population growth, and where you can still buy unbelievably affordable deals um, that, you know, in, in areas where there's going to be demand for those properties. Is the main strategy that you talk about uh, buying something cheap, fixing it up and renting it out? Or are you doing flipping? Or what, what are your main strategies that you like to uh, talk to your members about? Well, you know, you really make your money in the buy, and uh, and so of course we want good deals. But when you say cheap, I want to I want to be you know use that cautiously because so many people have made a huge mistake in buying cheap property and finding out that it's it's the opposite. It's a money drain because um, there's parts of the U.S. that are. Whew, you know, almost subhuman in a way. I mean, there's just so much crime. Um, you know, you can you can try to fix up a property, and all everything will be stolen the next day. So, um, I've seen people lose thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on properties that maybe they paid five thousand for. So, we're not looking for cheap, but we're looking for good deals, and we're you know we want those properties in working class neighborhoods with families that. Uh, you know, that need an affordable place to live and a safe place to live, and we are providing that for them. So it's a real win-win uh, when we can show investors how to make cash flow and long-term equity growth and then show, you know, help renters have a, a nice place to live. Now, one of the big changes in the real estate market is that a lot of institutional investors, uh, hedge funds, and Blackstone Group, and companies like that have gotten into the market and buying uh, properties for rent 
all cash without having to need any mortgages, buying entire neighborhoods. How is the average individual investor supposed to compete against these big boys coming in with literally hundreds of millions of dollars? Well, they can't. You know, if you if you're coming in with an FHA loan and you're a first time home buyer and and there's another offer there, uh, cash only as is, no question over asking price. You know, what is the seller going to do? I, I'd like to, and I, I've gone on national TV and said, come on, sellers, you know, have a heart. Oh, sell to the first-time homeowner, but they're not listening to me. They're going to they're gonna take the money. They're going to take the highest offer and the easiest one. So it has been very difficult for the first-time homebuyer to compete. But, uh, but we're starting to see those hedge funds back off a little. Um, and it's getting maybe a little easier for the first-time homebuyer to, to come in and and uh, but yeah, it, you know, if there's any way you can borrow money from family, you know, maybe uh, to to get in and then get a to get a loan later, that's a better way to do it. Do you think the hedge funds are making a smart move by buying up so much property for rental? Is a, is a good long term move for them? Uh, some of them are doing it properly, and some are going to pay, and it's going to be another buying opportunity for people like me, uh, because you know, and for the the investors that in our network that we're showing how to buy, you know, how to find good deals, and it's usually from distressed owners. So I think the hedge funds are there's going to be some who are going to find themselves and already are in a distressed situation. Um, there was a report that came out that uh, I won't say the names, but there are some hedge funds that have 50 percent of the properties that they bought vacant because they haven't even gotten around to fixing them. They've been vacant for years, and uh, you know they're having trouble finding the contractors and, and getting the teams in place. Uh, and so when you've got a vacant property, that property gets vandalized. So they, they really, many got in over their heads. They did it wrong. They paid too much. They made mistakes. They didn't listen to the Real Wealth Network <laughs> and about how to do, how to do real estate right. Um, so, again, it'll be a buying opportunity for those of us looking for deals. Now you have on your website a an ebook that you put together called Seven Steps for New Real Estate Investors. Uh, tell us what's in that uh, uh, kind of ebook that people can get at your site. Well, you know, real estate is so um, it's such a foreign language to a lot of people. So we're just trying to simplify it. So that that ebook, Seven Steps for Real Estate Investors, is it just really breaks it down to um, you know first and foremost what is your goal? What are you trying to achieve? Too many people just buy a property and then kind of go, well, now, now what do I do with it? Do I rent it? Do I, you know, do I hold it? Do I flip it? You need to know that in advance. Uh, so there's, there's a lot on that. And then the finance, I'm a big proponent of getting and taking advantage of conventional finance if you can. If you have good credit, really the value there is gold uh, because you can lock in these low interest rates and, and buy property and use your credit uh, to uh, to acquire assets, and, you know. Again, there's a lot more to it than that, but um, you know, you can use that leverage to acquire more than you could without it, and get those low interest rates. So we talk about that, and then um, how to identify a good property, how to identify a good market. Um, so there's just all kinds of all kinds of info in there for people. And tell people how they can get that. Oh, you can get it at realwealthnetwork.com, real, like the real deal, wealth, like uh, the health of your money, and network is in the 14,000 members we have in our network, so realwealthnetwork.com. And you just register, and then you can download the ebook right away. Mm-hmm, yeah. Very good. Now, interest rates clearly affect real estate in a big way, and interest rates have gone up considerably since last spring. They're still historically at pretty low levels, but they've certainly gone up from the all-time lows. What is the impact both financially and psychologically on the real estate market? 
Well, I've been saying for years that uh, if you're going to buy an investment property or any property, a primary residence, you need to kind of calculate that payment as if it were on an 8% interest rate because that's been kind of pretty standard over the years, 6 to 8%. I mean, um, you know, my dad in the 80s paid 18%. So, um, you know... the interest rates are still so low. It's still such a bargain. It really won't affect the affordable marketplaces. It will affect the unaffordable marketplaces because those people, you know, in, in on the coastal cities and, uh, you know, they maybe had a chance to get into the real estate market and they might not now because interest rates have gone up and home prices have gone up. And that combination is going to, you know, it's going to be hard on people, unfortunately. But again, in the affordable marketplaces, there's plenty of room for interest rates to go up. Uh, it's just sort of a dilemma we'll always have. There are certain parts of the country where there's limited supply and big demand and it becomes unaffordable. In general, would you recommend that people buy with an adjustable rate mortgage or a fixed rate mortgage at current level levels? Oh, I really don't like adjustable rate mortgages because they uh, they leave you in a predicament where you don't know what's coming. Now, if you're really savvy or you've got a plan or you tend to sell, um, you know, you can you can deal with that. It's kind of like day trading. It's not for everybody. Um, if you're comfortable with not with the unknown <laughs> and surprises, then certainly get an adjustable rate mortgage. But uh, you know, today there's just no reason to get a get a fixed rate. You could you can lock in these low interest rates. Why why let them adjust to higher rates? You know, because that's what's going to happen. So yeah. yeah, lock them in. I, I, I said on uh, on Fox News, and they kind of cut me off. But I said, hey, you've got an opportunity if you've got good credit and the know how, the education. And that's where Real Wealth Network comes in. Um, you can get up to ten loans and lock them in at those low rates. And I'll tell you, with the right plan in place, you could have your retirement set. So you're saying to do it for passive income, basically. For passive uh, income, yeah. Just imagine if you bought. 10 very well-located, cash-flowing homes in good neighborhoods where people want to live. And those properties are all fixed up and ready to go so you're not going to get dinged with all these repairs and so forth. And um, over over a period of time, if you take all that cash flow to uh, accelerate the loan payoff, you could literally have those 10 homes paid off in 12 to 15 years. Now imagine having 10 homes paid off where that rental income is just going into your into your checkbook, you know, into your bank account. That's that's really comforting in these days when we don't really know necessarily where our retirement is going to come from. Even if the value of the homes doesn't appreciate, uh, you're still doing it for cash flow is the way to go. Exactly. I mean, you know, will properties appreciate over time? You know, if you buy right, you've already got a little built-in equity. And, and, and historically speaking, appreciation rates have been around 6%. Um, you know, since I think it's 1964. So, um, so it's act, you know, you can you can expect that over the next 15 years, prices will probably go up. But again, if you're just collecting cash flow, you don't care. You just care about your monthly income. Yeah. What are some of the big mistakes investors, particularly pe- people new to the real estate investment market, are making these days? Oh man, there was a there was a group in um, in uh, Campbell, California, who just got arrested for. Uh, for taking advantage of some people. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, it's so upsetting because the people who were taken advantage of made really, really dumb mistakes. So um, the, the, this group was selling properties, uh, the same property twice, you know, and just not recording the second sale. So first and foremost, never do that. Always 
have your purchase go through a title company. That's very simple. You get title insurance, then you have insurance that you actually own the property. Never, ever send your money when you're going to buy a property to an individual. Always send it to escrow. Again, these are super basic things, but, you know, we see... And it just happened. Very, very smart investors in the Silicon Valley didn't do these simple things. They didn't get an appraisal to find out if the property, you know, what conditions it's in. They didn't get an inspection to see, you know, uh, if the work that's being promised was actually done. So if you do real estate right, you have so many ways to protect yourself. And if you do it wrong, I don't know that you can really blame anyone than yourself. (laughs) Very good. Okay. We're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Kathy Fetke. Uh, she's the CEO and co-founder of the Real Wealth Network. And you can find out more about it at her website, realwealthnetwork.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Think of the world... 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Kathy Fetke. She's the CEO and co-founder of The Real Wealth Network based in California. Welcome back to the show, Kathy. Thank you. We, uh, we've been talking about uh, getting homes for cash flow, but how about for appreciation and, and flipping? Is that uh, potentially a, a good way to go this way in, in today's market? 
Well, it can be. You can certainly, this is a good market to be flipping, but um, you've really got to know what you're doing and have the time to do it because it is an active investment, not, not passive. Too many people have full-time jobs and, you know, then have children and have a life and things going on, and to try to, to, try to give yourself a second job is, is tough or a third job. So, again, you just have to be educated. Um, the key to succeeding in flipping homes is to buy well, well under market. I, I mean, uh, you know, rule of thumb is, is to purchase the property at least 75% below market. That gives you um, 10%. You've got to have 10% in there for set aside for sales. You know, when you, when you're done, you know, fixing it up, you got, you got to sell it. And that costs money. Um, you need to budget at least 10% on the repair costs. It's probably more than that. Um, and then you've, you've got to budget 10% for your profit. So uh, make sure if you're going to flip that you get a full, full report and, uh, and uh, get a, a contractor in there to give you a bid to find out exactly how much it's going to cost to fix that house. And, um, and then you can really calculate and make sure that there's room for all those costs. You know, again, some people buy at market, and this is what the hedge funds were doing. They're buying properties over market that still needed fixing. And, uh, you know, it's not going to make a profit from that way. We have seen home prices increase dramatically this year in double-digit numbers in many parts of the country, even in Texas, where there's never appreciation. But you have to understand it wasn't really appreciation. It was a bounce back. And in those places, we're kind of back. So don't go in thinking you're going to get double-digit appreciation moving forward. That's that's not going to happen most likely. Can you buy uh, good properties from uh, banks that have hold, held them in portfolios, so-called REOs? Is that still a good place today to buy properties? It depends. In a lot of a lot of places, the inventory has already moved through. Um, there's a little bit of distressed property coming out, but again, a lot of investors are scooping that up with cash. Um, so if you're if you're wanting those kind of super distressed deals, REOs, foreclosure, sa- you know, uh, short sales, you probably need cash in most cases, and, and especially in the hot markets. Um, but uh, they do still exist, and uh, the key there is just to make sure you're well connected with REO brokers. So there are people who are in contact with the banks and know what the banks are about to put on the market. Yeah, the banks don't just sell to an individual. They're not in the business of selling real estate. They usually hire a real estate broker who, who is then, quote-unquote, an REO broker. And, and, um, and that's not exactly the easiest job. They actually have to uh, put in a bunch of money in that property to make it even presentable. So not everybody's qualified to be an REO broker. And, of course, those guys have their list of buyers already uh, that they kind of work with consistently. So it takes a little bit of whining and dining to sort of get on their list of uh, you know, people. <laughs> I see. Another area that people do today is tax liens and buying tax liens and then hoping to buy the property if they default on their property taxes. Is that a good strategy? Yeah, it certainly can be. You know, my advice is always pick a strategy and learn it well. So if you're going to do tax liens, don't dabble. Um, you know, your first deal, no matter what it is, should be done with somebody who's done it 100 times and 100 times successfully. Uh, to go out and dabble and guess and so forth, well, you'll learn a lot, but it may be a very expensive lesson. So, um, yeah, again, tax liens can be profitable. They can also be huge money lo- you know, losers, too. How do you lose on a tax lien? Well, um, you know, if you get stuck with a property that you don't want, you know, that you think... You think you're getting a good deal, but you didn't know enough about it. 
um, you know, it could, it could come back to bite you. I see. Let's talk around the country a little bit. What are some of the markets that have come back strongly that you still think have some potential? And what are some areas you'd stay away from? Well, you know, a lot of people are buying in Detroit. I know this comes up a lot, and the question is, is it a good time? We don't, you know, even though you can get really good deals there, we haven't yet seen the economy turn around enough that we would feel confident. Uh, so that may be something that if, you, if you're okay with high risk, then check out Detroit because you can get good deals. Um, we're, we don't have the appetite for it, personally. Uh, North Dakota is a place where a lot of investors are going because of the oil and gas boom there. Uh, we are not too excited about that because we just don't want to be in any market that is dependent on one industry. And so we kind of think North Dakota is. So, uh, However, there are so many parts of the U.S. where there has been oil and gas discoveries that are uh, that are more diversified in their economies, and believe it or not, there's parts of Ohio, parts of Pennsylvania, parts of Texas where they have the same amount of oil and gas discoveries as as they're finding in North Dakota, but it's not so out there in the boonies. So, is that one of the main things you're looking for in buying real estate? Is where there are jobs coming in and the economy is going to be getting better? Absolutely. Here's the thing: we are moving into a time when things change practically overnight. So I often tell people who are buying million-dollar homes in the Silicon Valley in California, you know, where it may or may not be a bubble, that, hey, don't buy this property just because you think that the Silicon Valley will always be the Silicon Valley. It won't. Everything changes every day. So if you're buying a million-dollar investment property, um, you, you need to think twice because, you know, look look at where many of these high tech companies are moving. They're moving out of the Silicon Valley because of, you know, certain uh, taxes in, in California that prohibit, you know, are prohibitive to companies growing. Uh, so, you know, these are just some of the things we look at. Where are jobs going, and where are they going to stay? And uh, and 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 where are places that people haven't really found out about it yet because we could still buy properties for super uh, affordable prices and enjoy cash flow and appreciation. So what would be an example of a place like that, just one around the country? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just mention one, Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio is a, a city with a bad reputation for the most part, you know. And, um, and yet if you went to visit, you would, you would be shocked at what's happening to that city. So it, are the statistics going to show you that right now? No. But if you see what's going in, uh, I mean, gosh, just take one drive by the Cleveland Clinic and that huge... Uh, medical city there with all of the universities, all these medical universities surrounding it. And, uh, you know, who wouldn't want to buy a $60,000 property that's already been completely updated and renovated and rent it to a nurse or a, you know, a doctor or a medical student? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity that people don't really necessarily know about. But don't tell right. the husbands. <laughs> <laughs> In about a minute or so we have left, just tell people again about the Real Wealth Network and what they can find there and what joining that community can make a difference in helping people become successful in real estate investing. Absolutely, yeah. Realwealthnetwork.com is where you can join for free and become a part of a community. Learn. Don't feel like you have to be out there on your own. Please tell us what you're doing. We have free um, investment counselors uh, that you know will meet with you. And if you're thinking about buying something, just, you know, just check in. And uh, we know companies who are... Well, you know, don't do what they say they're going to do. And we know a lot of companies that are on the up and up. So, uh, you know, we just want to be a service to people to help you make good, 
savvy real estate investment decisions and not be out there on your own, learning on your own and making expensive mistakes. Very good. Again, at that website, you can get a free copy of her ebook, which is called Seven Steps for New Real Estate Investors, How to Start, Where to Buy, and What to Buy. Thanks so much, Kathy, for being on the Money Answer Show. I think we've t- taught people a lot about uh, doing well in real estate. Thank you so much. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 